Hey guys, welcome to another edition of the Detour Live, stage three of the Giro. We're going to rip straight into it because Matt White has got actual job. He's not a professional podcaster and we don't have a lot of time this morning. Uh, as always, I'm joined by Johnny Trevorrow, Scott McGrory and of course, Matty White. Uh, we'll obviously kick things off with you, Whitey. Uh, what were your thoughts on uh, on stage two? Yeah, it was it was a probably as quiet a, quite as the day you will see on the Giro d'Italia. Uh, I think the due to the wind, and it was not a technical uh, run in yesterday, and uh, it, it wasn't much action, which is which is fine by me. Um, and it was a pretty pretty controlled sort of final, and uh, it was pretty messy sprint as well. But um, no, for us, we just had to stay out of trouble, and uh, and we did a good job in doing that. Yiffy. Like I say, it was a little bit more of a, a, a chaotic finish as uh, as uh, Caleb you had predicted, because you're looking at it from uh, GC's point of view. There were no problems, but for the sprinters, there was a lot of roundabouts, and that put a lot of pressure on. Went from fairly wide roads to narrow roads, and they were all over the the, the uh, bloody place. But um, well, if you I look, if you look at the if you look at the final there, Johnny. The, the, the teams on the who are controlling the final were the GC teams, not even the sprint teams, and it yeah. wasn't an, it wasn't until really late. I think uh, Ghana was Ghana was taking Bernal second wheel at one point five k to go, and he was drag <laughs> he was dragging anyone who was trying to come close to him. So the, a lot of the GC teams did get in the way because they're fresh, they were nervous. Uh, we took a little bit of a seat back, sit back and uh, and sat uh, in a safer place. And, but it was a pretty chaotic sprint because it was so straightforward until that last kilometre and a half. I just, what, what do you, uh, um, with Caleb, I mean, just never said to be far enough up. You always just was that, 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 you know, 10 or 20 places back, too far back. Yeah, look, I think traditionally Caleb it takes, sometimes does take a, a stage or two to get going. He's had a, um, a quite limited race program this year as well. Obviously missing the, all of the Australian summer. So I, I don't know his exact race days, but uh, he'd, be, he'd be at least 10 to 12 race days behind uh, a normal year. And, and uh, he'll build into it. Uh, he'll build into it. I don't know. Uh, Roger Klug is obviously the man he relies on, the heaviest in the final there. And uh, it was quite easy for, to get lost. And uh, he, he'll be back uh, maybe today even. Um, but uh, I think today's probably a little bit too – well, depending on the, what the weather finally dishes up for us, it could be a, li- could be a little bit too hard for the pure sprinters today. Hey, Whitey, um, were you surprised that the UCI asked Fernando Gaviria to do an in-race test of the new barrier system? Because it went well, obviously. Lean across the barriers, <laughs> slid along them. So, that, you know, you, R&D, you know, make sure you test it while you're in the race. It was perfect, wasn't it? It did. It just shows that the uh, the new barricades are working. And uh, that uh, I dare say there would have been a fair bit of discussion at the uh, dinner table there between his lead-out guy. But... Mm. Um, if, if you look at that, Gaviria did go through – he went through the easy way, uh, which was the dangerous way on the barricade. <laughs> he uh, he didn't have to take that option. And, uh, yeah, look, he's, I feel sorry for his lead-out guy. I would, I would have felt a lot more sorry if he'd put him over the barricades. But uh, <laughs> it, it, it turned out all right in the end. But, uh, yeah, it was uh, – just shows the bike skills – just shows the skills of some of those sprinters to hold it up uh, at, that, you know, at that speed, rubbing against the barricade so close to the finish, doesn't it? They're obviously they're both Colombian, but uh, they obviously don't speak the same language because there's something <laughs> missing there for sure. But their left and their right's mixed up. But he also took his <laughs> hand off the bars. When you look at it closely, just as he realised he was going to fall onto the barriers, he took his hand off the bars, 
so he wasn't going to get his hand caught sliding along. You know, so incredible sense of awareness yeah. and then to, to pop it back up again. So, but I'm pretty he, sure he must have clipped his hand too because if you actually look after it, he starts shaking the hand. So he must have actually just clipped it as he pulled it off because he's actually shaking the hand. You see, uh, hey, uh, speak, not a Speaking of his hands, he wasn't wearing any gloves. Now, Whitey, that's got to be OH&S. You can't send riders out with no gloves. Mate, they they all have them. They all get given multiple packets of them at the start of the year, mate. Uh, I, I I don't get a sprinter not wearing gloves. I, I don't get that at all. I, I get maybe his sensation. He, he likes the feel uh, of wearing no gloves, but it's uh, it's a dangerous one if you touch down. And like, the, the gloves can save you. Kevin Savior and no, no one can race, especially a sprinter, if you've got uh, skinned palms, that's for sure. So it, it's a personal. I remember, well, Tom Boonen used to race through Paris Bay with no gloves on. Talk about mm. crazy. Um, he's a, but it, he's it's a, a it's tough a guy, eh? <laughs> yeah, come on, eh? <laughs> hey, um, what, are, what are your thoughts for stage three? We can see in the background it looks a bit overcast there. And if you've got wet conditions, I mean, that adds obviously a, a scarier element to the to the stage. It does. The the descents are very, uh, they're quite technical. They come in quite fast uh, succession there. And even though the last climb is not categorised, it's it's a tough one. It's got a, it's got a ramp in there of above 14%. Might only be for a couple of hundred metres. But the terrain from that last climb to the finish is not straightforward neither. So uh, I... Uh, I see in the total dry, which uh, actually we we had a lot of rain last night, um, and it may may we may be lucky, but uh, if it is wet at all, that will be a very technical final one because everybody is still so fresh. Two, that last climb does provide a very good launching pad for people who are looking at taking the jersey or or some time, and uh, it might not be a, G, a day that uh, that someone wins the Giro, but we've got to be on uh, on full alert that. Uh, that Simon gets through and and really has an awareness of what his rivals are doing in that final. It looks like a Peter Sagan day to me. Yeah, look, uh, five years ago you wouldn't would not have been against him, um, but five years ago he wasn't riding the Giro either. But uh, <laughs> it's uh, it. I wouldn't even be surprised to see Evan Poole or someone like that launch on that last climb. I would not be surprised to see Evan Poole launch. And uh, look, he he was going for a bonus second yesterday, so. He's got a clear intent to take the jersey, if not today, tomorrow on the first mountain stage of the race. Actually, I wanted to ask you about that, Whitey. I found that fascinating. You know that that uh, uh, that second sprint with the, for the three, two, and one time bonuses to see Ineos leading out of uh, Vanderpool and then Garner coming past and rolling him on the other side. It just seemed weird. It was. It was not too often you see uh, an eighty-five kilogram. Uh, leader of the race who knows he's going to lose the jersey tomorrow going for three seconds. I, I don't know. There was some confusing mixed messages going on there for that sprint. And I don't know if you noticed that the intermediate sprint for for the breakaway, the one at 35 kilometres to go, the um the, the guys Viviani and Gaviria and those guys, they sprinted for a Bianchi sign, which was 35k to go. And the actual, the intermediate sprint was 300 metres further. Um, <laughs> no, so they had to re- they, had, they had to kick, a start, kick started again. It was only for third place. But uh, they made a bit of a boo boo there with uh, with that with that one of those the last intermediate sprint before. I noticed that with Caleb uh, uh, and um, uh, was it Caleb and one of the other sprinters, they definitely weren't going for those. So they they were bit, they're, they're not planning to uh, uh, get to Milan. I would say. Yeah, there's two ways to look at it. The some guys go into even even Caleb at the Tour de France there. 
he, he usually doesn't line up in, in, in the intermediate sprints in the first couple of days until he can jag a win because there's two ways to go about chasing the green. It's, you know, you can chase it from day one, but at the end of the day, the, the priority there for any sprinter would be is to win a stage. So there's two ways you can go that way. And once you've won a stage, then you can afford to, to waste a little bit more energy going for the intermediate sprints or you can be committed from day one. And, uh, and usually those guys are the ones who certainly intend on chasing that jersey all the way to the finish. Uh, we've got While a we're talking about that, that, that stage, though, before we move on to the next one, we haven't got it for long. What did you think of uh, Gronowagen, uh his first ride back, first sprint back? Yeah, good. I actually, in the car before, I thought, you know, because it was such a, uh, it was a, it was an easy stage and it was only going to be a, a fast wind-up, uh, for a guy who hasn't raced that much, it's probably was going to suit him. So I, I was quite curious to see... Uh, to see how he uh, lined up. And look, he, he lacks a little bit of race rhythm for a sprinter. But at the end of the day, he shows his... Uh, look, they wouldn't have sent him here unless he had uh, good enough condition that he was happy for. And because his, his original plan was uh, was to start in Tour of Hungary, which is next week. And so obviously, they, they could see the numbers. They knew how he was going in training. And they, they saw that he was at a level that he could be very competitive at the Giro at his first race in nine months. And, uh, and he was. Yeah. Uh, we've got a couple of questions for you from fans before we let you go as well. Um, ben Jensen says, if this is live, which it is, ask what if he can sign up Sam Bennett or Yo Almeida. I would got- love to. <laughs> I would love to. Um, uh, Sam Bennett, I think uh, Patrick Lefebvre is pretty keen on keeping one of the world's best sprinters exactly where he is. And Joe Almeida, well, we know he uh, is leaving, he's going somewhere else. I've heard a few stories uh, where, but uh, unfortunately he won't be joining us. And look, we've got we have enough uh, we've got enough GC guys on, at the moment um, at that level. Jal would be looking for sole leadership, I think, wherever he goes, and that's why he's leaving Quickstep, I would think, um, because Evan Pool they're going to build a team around him for the next five years, and uh, it would be interesting where he ends up. But unfortunately, he won't be with us. And you've Jack, been you've been busy, uh, uh, Whitey. So you haven't seen some of the scuttlebutt going around. But um, evidently, oh, Sam, I've, I've seen it. I just try not to pay too much attention to it. Sam, <laughs> Sam Bennett evidently is uh, going back to Bora next year. Yep. Now that was yeah, I heard that, and Lefebvre and I, actually I think, came out and said it. Yeah. No, I that could be true. Um, and uh, I think I saw Elvis yesterday at the start as well. <laughs> now, now, before in you jump in, in before, before you jump in again, Johnny, we've got another fan question. Uh, Whitey, when do you think is the first opportunity to take some time on GC? Well, uh, uh, whether we take time, uh, we have tomorrow. Well, tomorrow is definitely the first GC showdown. There's no, there's no, there's no uh, ifs or buts there. Uh, it's a t- really tough final uh, tomorrow. We've, uh, we've had a look at it, and uh, so, yeah, t- today, if there's gaps, it'll be because uh, people have lost the wheel in the wet or or, or something's happened. Uh, it's, the, the, the terrain is not going to sort out the GC, any GC gaps today. It'll be more so mistakes or because of the wet, but tomorrow, uh, the weather prediction is uh, for torrential rain and cold, uh, and it is a very, very tough mountain stage, so we are going to see gaps tomorrow. And, look, Simon obviously is in, uh, is in good shape, but uh, look, our big picture goal is to try to win the Giro. But if we can take time here or there or win a stage in this first week, yeah, sure, we'll take it. But the priority for us is uh, is uh, riding a con- in a conservative way that especially gives Simon uh, 
as fresh a legs as possible for when it's going to really matter, and that is the tail end of this race. Scooter? I've got a very important question for you, Whitey. Um, Biela, where you're starting today, is actually the founding town of Xenia, um, high-end fashion Italian clothing, and also where Saruti was also founded a long time ago. Um, and Saruti, they, they, uh, they dressed... Michael Douglas in you know, Fatal Attraction, Wall Street, Basic Instinct, and then Tom Hanks in Philadelphia, all these different movies and stuff. Did you get a chance to go shopping? Did not. I did see a factory outlet store down the road, but due to our COVID restrictions, I did not get a chance to uh, or, or allowed to go shopping uh, yesterday after the stage, yes, Scotty. Missed opportunity. And last question before Missed I let you go from the fans. Simon Harvey says, Whitey, how's last night's pasta? Last night's pasta, I actually didn't eat pasta last night. I turned it down. What? I had uh, a bit of rabbit and a veg and grilled vegetables yesterday, last night. You sure it was rabbit? Uh, well, it could have been chicken, but uh, <laughs> it was advertised as rabbit. Uh, very good, <laughs> um, mate. Very, I'll, chicken. Give, very I, chicken. I'll give you a, a little uh, little tidbit here. Um, and I can't, I don't know his first name. But when we pulled up to the hotel yesterday, there's a couple of tennis players in the uh, out, outdoor area as we got our uh, umpteen dozen PCR test uh, for the race. And uh, I don't remember his first name. He's from Melbourne, but uh, the, I might not pronounce this correctly, but uh, Kokonakis, the tennis oh, player. Yeah. Ah, he's, uh, he, him and another, guy, and, uh, another Australian were staying here and, uh, and their strength and conditioning coach. And we had a bit of a chat to them uh, yesterday and I said, asked them what they were doing at the hotel. And there is, there is actually tennis uh, – it's actually a really nice hotel with tennis courts out back. And they played a tournament last last weekend, and they're just in between tournaments staying at this hotel. So uh, the uh, we had a bit of a chat to those guys while we were lining up for our PCR test. And uh, it's always good to catch up with some other – With other Aussies. I take that was going to be. Well, we've lost – Perfect timing. We've lost Whitey. <laughs> He's uh, frozen. But uh, it's been a pleasure having him on, and it uh, looks like the Italian Wi-Fi's got him again. So we'll let Whitey go. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to be joined uh, very shortly from uh, Sam Bewley. Uh, so who, he's going to look into his crystal ball. We can unpack the stage. And before we do that, let's have a quick word from our great mates at Bike Exchange. Look at this bike. You think it's just a bike, right? But it's not. <clears throat> it's a bike. 374 people are looking at this guy this girl them all looking at it people from here there and wherever this is people that are looking for a bike or just a piece of it amateurs semi-amateurs and pro amateurs this guy wants this bike but with this crank and these bars this could be the perfect match but not this one this girl has a bike to sell and thousands of people might purchase it eyes on bikes help grow small businesses his hers yours and the latest data and insights help those businesses keep moving we are the world's number one bike marketplace with over 500,000 products and 900 brands where buyers and sellers are brought together in a place where a bike is never just a bike bike exchange where the world buys sells learns and rides Thanks again to our great mates at Bike Exchange. Now, I thought it'd be a good time to bring in a guy that can look into his crystal ball and give a, a rider's perspective on, on what's happening at the Giro, and that is, of course, 
the man who's I'm famous for the social now. distance podcast. Oh no, you're you're there, Bills. Yeah, speaking put, of the social I, distance podcast, I put my headphones in and it started playing through my iTunes app. So I was hearing you talk and I was hearing you talk on another podcast at the same time. Oh, there you go. <laughs> hey, how are you, Effie Scooter? Good. Hey, good, buddy. Good to see you, Bills. Now, have you had a chance to... Good, mate. Have you had a chance to watch much of the Giro Bills? And what are your thoughts so far? Well, there's only been two days, so I've seen both of them. (laughs) Um... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, yesterday was a pretty crazy sprint, wasn't it? I was just... I was watching you before when you had Whitey on and when Scotty brought up um, Gaviria bouncing off the barriers there. It was a pretty... Interesting start to the to the Giro for for UAE, but no, yeah, saw the saw the sprint yesterday, and um, by the sounds of it, today is going to be pretty pretty gnarly with the weather. Now uh, there was a bit of talk on the coverage um, about uh, Sagan, and I think uh, Macker and Keenan were like, "Oh, we don't know if they're going to review, you know, some of the argy bargy." I don't think there was anything in that in the last sort of four four and a half k's. It just shows how good he is at at finding that position in the wheel. And in those sort of sprints, I mean, that's everything, yeah? Yeah, and Sagan, the thing with Sagan is he he does that quite often, but he's he's so skilled. He's unbelievably skilled as a bike rider, as you guys know, and most people do know. And it's scary for people like me or other people because we aren't quite as skilled. So we, we kind of get the shits put up us when he's doing that sort of stuff. But, yeah, you're right, Jonesy. It just shows how good he is at making his way through the bunch. And over the years, there's been other, other sprinters, guys like Boonin and stuff, who are just as good as doing the same thing and um yeah i don't think i think that stuff happens it happens quite often in, in the final five or ten k of, of races and um obviously more tv cameras now and helicopters over over the top so you see you see a bit more but it, it's not uncommon um and i'm sure he probably wasn't the only guy who did something like that in those final final couple of k's but yes yeah, he's, he's pretty handy with with those sort of things Scooter. That, that used to be the stock standard back in the day didn't it, it was like kieran racing on the track you know if you, it was whoever crossed the line um and didn't crash, ended up winning the race. UCI have obviously tried to clean things up a little bit, but um, it's a a tough one to to try and judge on, Jonesy. Um, Back to your point on, you know, whether he should be, you know, penalised or whatever. Because he's got the skills, I don't think he should be penalised. And, of Mm. course, he's made contact, he's made room. It wasn't that dangerous. You know, like you can, and we know it, you know, you're in a bunch, you can bump someone into the shoulder, put a bit of pressure on them. It's not that dangerous. It looks far worse than it is often. But if you do it at the wrong time, they might hit the wheel in front of them and go over the wheel and then causes a crash. So, yeah, sure, then they have to get penalised if there's a crash. Um, but I think that sort of stuff that Peter did yesterday looked worse than, than it really is. And, and I'd hate to see guys that have those sorts of skills or race now, you know, get sanitised too much. You know, I think we're, we've gone down that path anyway, the whole super tuck thing and, you know, taking that out of, out of racing, all those sorts of things. It's just over-sanitising the sport to, to a lot of degree. Now, we haven't spoken much about the actual stage winner himself, Tim uh, Merlier. Bills, what do, you, what do you know about this bloke? Mate, he's quick. He's won a lot of races, actually. Um, when uh, when I saw the start list and I looked at the, the sprinters for this race and I saw him and I thought this is going to be his first real real test, I suppose, in, in, the, in a World Tour race, in a big World Tour race, in a Grand Tour, and up against Caleb and um Gronewegen and Viviani and Sagan and you know these fast world-renowned fastest guys um and I was intrigued to see how he was going to go because he has won a lot in Belgium in the last 12 months 
Uh, he's won almost, you know, every time he lines up in those Belgian races, he he almost wins them all. Um, he is obviously super, super quick. And obviously, first stage he showed, yeah, he showed showed them all a clean set of wheels. So, um, obviously, we saw in the, in the final there that Caleb was pretty far back. He didn't get a very clean run in into the finish and put him in a position where he wasn't even able to contest it effectively. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see uh, in another in another day down the line when Cater does get a good run, how he lines up against him. But yeah, clearly a very quick guy. If he what impressed, what impressed me <clears throat> me with him, Bjorns uh, was that he hit out. Yeah, you know, it was even just before two fifty. It was uh, you know he didn't didn't hesitate. Whereas I thought Viviani probably blew his chances by hesitating. But uh, uh, Tim just he just went you know two two fifty two seventy I reckon it was, uh, and they didn't look like getting by. No, and I think he's probably used to. Uh, he's he's obviously super quick himself, but he's probably. And he has had a lot of opportunities to win races, which he has done, like I say. But he's also had had races where he's had to lead out guys like Vanderpol, for example. Um, so he's obviously pretty conditioned to doing long sprints as well, and, and that's what he did. Did did you say? I feel like you say, and he just didn't slow down. He got quicker and quicker and quicker. And those two guys behind him, Nizolo um, and Gronewig, in there, they they couldn't even come off the wheel. They tried, and they just went straight back onto it. So. Uh, it's, can do clearly do a long sprint uh, and clearly do a fast sprint. So I think he's not going to be easy, an easy. It's not. It's not going to be a one-off. I don't think. Uh, I'm sure the sprinters will be taking him pretty seriously for all the other sprint stages coming up. Bills, what he's 28 and this season's been fantastic. And okay, he's riding for a, a pro Conti team. They're getting a lot of starts because of Matthew Vanderpol in that team. But the team itself behind him, it's kind of like Bora. You know, when they first sort of kicked off, it was Sagan winning everything, and the rest of the team didn't do much. But um, Alpes and Phoenix are now, uh, they've got riders that are winning races that are not just uh, for Matthew and some riders that are there to help Matthew right down towards the end as well. At 28, why is it taking him this long? Do you know any background as to why he wasn't, um, you know, the, the speed he's showing? He must have been that quick at 23, 24, 25 as well. Yeah, it's a good point. And typically as a sprinter, you're faster when you're younger, aren't you? So, um, I don't know. I don't know his background. No, I've, I've only seen his name pop up in the last couple of years. Uh, I don't know whether he came from another discipline or, or, or I don't know actually anything about him. Um, but you're right. Yeah, 28 years old. He, I didn't know he was even that old. That old. I thought he must have been a young guy. Um, and yeah, often, you know, these sprinters are winning when they're, when they're 22, 23 and they get a little bit slower as they get older. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But he's, he's left his run late, I suppose, but he's doing all right. He won the Belgian uh, national road title just in 2019. But evidently, I Google, I only know this guy, I Googled him. Uh, he uh, he has got a background in, in, in cross. So uh, it's like three or four years in cross. Well, there you go. That answers it. Yeah. <laughs> um, hey, Bills, how much harder <laughs> is modern day cycling for these sprint trains given that the GC teams are, are so powerful and blocking up the traditional line outs? With sort of three, four k to go. Yeah, it's tricky. Like I, I, I think it can. I know there's there's always been an argument of the GC guys. Like it would be nice if the GC teams got out of the way. It's a certain point in the in the finish there, and I guess that's why they they brought in that the three kilometer rule, where the, where the you know if there's a crash after three kilometers, you get bunch time, um, so that the GC teams maybe would disappear a little bit. And I think for some races they they bring it back to even five k. But, and 
Oh, but on the flip side, I think it can favour sprint trains a lot also because if you get like the big, long, straight run-ins, big, wide roads like you often get, say, in the Tour de France, more more so than the Giro or the Vuelta, uh, the sprint teams can actually utilise those GC teams to take them closer and closer to the finish line and then they get the whole train inside the last 3K. Uh, I think yesterday probably wasn't a day for that. You probably wanted to be at the front a little bit earlier with that tricky finish. Um, but what was the question again, actually? How much harder is it for these sprint trains in modern day cycling with all the GC well, you teams? The you answered it perfectly. Yeah. What do you mean harder? <laughs> well, they are. Like, they are like, because they're always bopping around at the at the front. Like they weren't really hmm. doing that as much. Sort of five six years. Ago. Yeah, that was a crap question. Let's move on. I think to answer your question, it's yeah, good for the sprint control, teams. Yeah. It's good for the sprint teams up until a certain point because they can stay there, guys, till later in the. In the finish in the final few k and then yeah. once you flick to like three four k to go then i'm pretty sure the sprint teams like to have the gc guys out of the way but like we saw with sargon yesterday if they want them out of the way they can get them out of the way <laughs> well on that on that bills um so caleb comes in as well i could, shouldn't say the standout sprinter but you know obviously one of the favorites and with a team that really is designated to him to go for for stage wins yet they were a bit of a mess at the end. You know, what's your take on them? Is it too early? Are they just trying to get their system right? You know, was it just too tricky to finish? Did they go too early? Um, or is you know, is everybody going to keep looking to Lotto as soon as whenever it's it going to be a flat finish? Um, is that going to be a challenge for them? I think what's tricky in, it, in yesterday's final was um, they they were all together, and and that's obviously how you need to be when you when you're doing a lead out. You want to be in the line. Um, but when it gets really technical or narrow, like it did in the final three, final three or four k yesterday, it's actually quite hard to get a whole team through to the front at, at the same time. So often in those situations, it's better to pair off or to sort of do your own thing and like and just basically plan to meet at the front at a certain point. Um, I don't know what what their plan was, obviously, but you know you might say, let's look at three k. We're all meeting at the front, and you've got to find your own way there because it is easy to get through by yourself or with only one other guy. Uh, if you try to get through with six or seven guys, it's, there's often not enough room. And that was the case yesterday. And uh, I mean, they were all together and they looked pretty good up until about 5K to go. And then at that point, it started to look, oh, you're, you're a bit too far back. And then the road narrowed, the road got tricky and there was just no space for them to come as a, as a group. Um, so I think, you know, yesterday would have been better, not being a sprinter myself, but probably better to be at the front a, bit, a little bit earlier like some of those other teams were, or, or maybe just to try to find a way through. And, and that's one thing that you take your hat off to Caleb. He has so much faith in his lead-out guys and so much faith in his team that he doesn't leave their wheel. And sometimes it, he ends up in situations like he did yesterday uh, because they can't get through. But if he does, when they do get through, he knows they're going to deliver him and, then, and nine times out of ten he wins once in that position. Well, the other problem just, is, is Roger, just, Roger Klug is such a big guy. I mean, that that's an intimidating guy to rip a new one if, it, if he doesn't do a good job. I'd be too scared. <laughs> He's like twice the height of Caleb. Uh, <laughs> if he he's going pretty, he's going pretty strong though, uh, Roger Clue. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, look, I think um, they were just too far back. That's all it was, Roger. Mm. I thought Roger, it was an opportunity for him to dive through, but maybe he was, maybe Caleb wasn't quite on the wheel or something uh, around about just just coming up to the one k. But anyway, it, so it's a funny there. situation because obviously this. The, the lotto train and the lotto team would have reconned or seen that finish and known it like the back of their hand and they would have known exactly where they needed to be. They would have known that at 3K to go, you can't be as far back as they were. Um, so it's easy to say like, 
oh, why don't they just be in a better position? Well, every other sprint team, every other sprint team is is trying to do the same thing, and there's only so much room for so many guys. And when you've got twice as many guys trying to fit into a in, into an area where you can only get half those people, it's not quite as easy as it sounds. But uh, ultimately, that's what they needed to do. It's something that's really changed, isn't it? If you go way back to, you know, like. I guess the Sayako train with Mario Cipollini, you know, everybody thought, well, okay, they were the strongest lead out team. Let's all fight for position behind Mario's wheel because they're the best lead out train, you know, and that's, it's such a difference now. It's so every, every team has got someone that has to get to the front, do the job. And you've got these four or five trains often coming down, you know, the finishing straight with the GC guys as well. So mm. certainly an evolution of, of the sprinter stages for sure. I thought Kafidas did a good job. Uh, we were debating them last night, but uh, they actually ended up doing quite a good lead out. Hmm. And uh, they they were well predicted by Whitey at the start that they were going to be right up there as well. <laughs> now, uh, one, one thing we wanted to bring you on for, Bills, is you've got a knack for looking into your crystal ball and predicting winners and uh, also getting your light settings right for an interview. Um, <laughs> what, what do you think of when you see the uh, the stage today, knowing that it's going to be wet? Yeah, it's going to be... It's going to be a, this is going to be a real Giro stage, isn't it? I mean, like you look at it on paper and you think, oh, it's not so bad. But then that, that's from looking at the profile. But when you look at the map, it's really tricky. It's small roads, uh, super twisty. It's all through the through the, the, the vineyards there. So as most places around the world, vineyard areas have, have pretty small roads. Uh, so very tricky. And then obviously, like you say, Jane, there's wet. So that brings a whole new stress. You're only three days into the Giro and uh, GC guides are all sort of uh, there or thereabouts together. And... They don't want to be risking losing even a handful of seconds or they don't want to be caught up in crashes or crashing themselves. So it brings a whole new stress in. And then you get the uh, the guys that, that can win the stage also, they're at them and their teams um, up there bopping around. So, yeah, it's going to be a very, very stressful stage. I think it's going to be pretty action-packed in the, in the final 30K there. And uh, it will be interesting to see how, how it plays out. If, if you were the DS for um, Bike Exchange, would you tell them to rip it, make it hard, and, and drop the sprinters? Or actually, there'd be no, no point in doing that. If you had a no, yeah. yeah, if you had no, Sagan you on your team, you would. Yeah, so mate, I'm, well, I'm not on today. The only, the only reason the team would be wanting to drop the sprinters is if they want to line up the stage. But I think yeah. the ultimately the goal for Team Bike Exchange today is getting Simon through as safely as possible, and that's going to mean that that some guys are going to have to use energy. You know, guys like Hippy and and those sort of guys, it's going to be they're going to be on the tools today pretty heavily to um to make sure Simon is in good position, and and they're going to have to use some energy to do that, which is why they're there. Uh, but ultimately, the goal is just to get Simon through safely, and and to get through a stage up there safely. I mean, those climbs are no problem for Simon, um, and so it just needs to get through safely. And that means right in, in the front. So it's going to be, uh, and that's and that's what brings stress because every other GC team is is thinking the same. So do you reckon uh, Sagan, to me that looks, it looks like a Sagan day today. Do you reckon that Bora uh, and Sagan and blokes like Ulisse would be really trying to uh, put the pressure, especially at that last little climb, to get rid of the Calebs and uh, Gronovagans? Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, if, if this stage is three or four years ago, you almost wouldn't do it. you just give Sagan the victory, wouldn't you? But, um, you know, these days he's... There's a few other guys that can probably challenge him today, but I think it's yeah, it is a stage that that sees Peter Sagan all over it. Uh, I also read an article not long ago. When I say not long ago, I just mean about five minutes ago about um, Alberto Bettiol. He wants to have a crack today. Italian guy in good form. He wants to take the the leaders' jersey. So, you know, they're going to have 
teams like Bora, EF, um, they will be trying to make it hard to get rid of get rid of the sprinters. And I think, given the given the nature of the roads themselves, really twisty, dangerous, narrow descents. All you have to do is ride sort of hard the last half of a climb, ride the descent fast, ride hard, hard the bottom half of the next climb, and and the sprinters are effectively gone. So that that'll be what they'll do do for sure. What about um another New Zealander in Paddy Bevan? This could this, I didn't think about Paddy. Yeah, and the way he was riding in Romandy, he was he was getting to the finish of, of much harder stages than this. Um, so he, I, I, I was having a look through the through the start list just before I came on here, and actually, and I saw Paddy's name, and I think a very good stage for Paddy. A very good stage for Paddy. Um, obviously, yeah, Sargon is probably the favourite, and guys like that. But I think for sure, Paddy has a chance to be to be out there, and he's in red hot form at the moment. So I hope so. I'd love to see that. Well, he, Did you he, hear uh, it? What, what actually happened to Paddy in the uh, in the prologue? I thought he would be right in the mix with his uh, with his current form, uh, but he was well down in in the prologue. I, I reckon something must have happened to him. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I guess it's the first stage of the Giro, and everyone's. Everyone's going pretty pretty quick. I think they haven't. They don't necessarily have the fastest equipment either. That team, uh, you know, you see, if you see the top ten, it was basically Jumbo and um, Quickstep, and you know, both those teams have pretty fast bikes. And uh, I think, yeah, the, the bikes that they're riding aren't, aren't the fastest time trial bikes. But who knows? Yeah, I mean, it could be anything. It could come down to going around the corners a bit too slow, and you know, and, and when it's only a nine minute effort, if you give away. Two seconds on every corner. All of a sudden, you're, you're, you've lost 15 places. So, I don't know. I haven't spoken to Patty about it, but yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I feel I, I was sort of picking him as a top five, top five contender. Are you, Patty, I was going to say, um, Pat was because he won the national road series here in Australia before he went on to be a pro. And you know, this Giro stage tomorrow looks like it might be you know at least as difficult as some of the NRS races here in Australia. So <laughs> he, he should be right up for it. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, Bills, you're saying obviously the wet stages add that element of stress. How do you go in a grand tour when it is wet and you are going down these descents at these ridiculous speeds? I mean, do, can you literally feel your heart rate go or is it one of those things where you, you can't overthink it? Yeah, you don't overthink it. It's like it's like doing a bunch sprint as, as, at the same time. Like you, you literally do switch off or you compartmentalise. Is that the right word? Your, yes. what you're doing um and you, you do if people talk about tunnel vision and, and that's effectively what happens like when when we're going down those wet descents like half the time when you're going slow or when you're like midway through a stage or the descents of no real effect on the race is when you start thinking about it and that's when you go down the descents a bit more cautiously but when you're racing you literally you, you're not you're not thinking about it and that's probably why we crash but um <laughs> You do. You get tunnel vision, and you get adrenaline, and you get, and all you start thinking about is, I need to be here. I need to be here. I need to be here. And that's what happens in bunch sprints. That's what happens on wet descents. That's what happens on fast descents. Um, especially when you're racing in the final, which will be the case today. How'd you go, Ify, back in the day? Uh, just ducking and weaving, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Johnny, Johnny, was, Johnny was one of the more skillful riders. I, I never, I never used to wear mitts. I didn't like wearing wearing mitts, but then I didn't fall off either. I used to knock them down. But, but I, I didn't fall off myself. Oh, you're just a bloody superstar, mate. Hey, this uh, Bills, what's your take on uh, Evan Pohl? Like he was up there contestant for the intermediate sprints. A lot of the traditional GC rides about conserving your energy and so forth. 
looks like he's just going to absolutely try and rip this Giro. Oh, yeah, I didn't see that. I only saw the last 9K yesterday. Um, so I didn't realise that. But maybe he's, he's close to the jersey, isn't he? So he probably knows that um, that either him or Joe Almeida will be the first, will probably be the next guys in line to take the, the leader's jersey, uh, which will be either today or tomorrow. Once, uh, you know, because there's only Gunner and, and Athene in front of them, which will be, uh, you know, they're, they're going to lose time, you know, maybe not today, but certainly tomorrow. So so the next in line for the for the pink jersey is Evenpool or, or Almeida. And at the moment, it's Almeida. So maybe Remco wants to get a couple of seconds. Well, they're, 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 even, they're, they're even on time now because there you go, two yeah. seconds that Evenpool uh, got. But so Quickstep led him out and then Garner rolled him for, for, the, for the sprint. <laughs> So Garner's got yeah, the not. three seconds, uh, Evenepoel got the two seconds. Well, that that would have been, I suppose, Garner's protecting Bernal there, I suppose. Yeah, taking some exactly. taking some seconds off Evenepoel so that he doesn't get further yeah. in front of Bernal. Exactly what he said. Yep, yep. So, who's your predictions for the stage, Bills? Who do you reckon is going to win? Well, I think Sagan is probably the the logistic the logical um, pick, but. It's, it's more fun to go someone else. I'll go. I reckon. I reckon. I, I think if you, I'll narrow it down to a few guys. I think he's obviously Sagan. I think Betiol just because uh, he ha- he hasn't been in great form. He hasn't had a victory for a while, uh, but he is in good form here. He ran twelfth in the prologue. He's pretty motivated. He's Italian. He's on home roads. I think he'll be up there. And then I reckon you go down. Then you go into the into the faster GC guys. And I think guys like Almeida or or even Paul. Uh, so those four guys will be there or thereabouts. And have you, have you spoken to George Bennett? You chatting him every morning just to make sure his head's right. I avoid that. I'm going to avoid that guy until <laughs> until he wins it. So if it's not this year, be a long, be a long, be a long time between drinks. <laughs> uh, anything no, else you want to add? Boys, before we wrap things up. Well, yeah, no. Well, I haven't spoken to like you talk to Bills all the time. You've got your own little private podcast, you guys. But um We're also what's... friends, Effie. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry about about the no, no, I'm just <laughs> curious to know uh how you where, like I know where, how your season's going and uh what's the plans for you for you event wise coming up. Uh I leave today actually in a few hours to tour of Hungary. So Obviously, it's been a pretty slow start to the season for me coming back from the injury. Uh, was long, just got longer and longer uh, as it went on, that injury. And so I haven't done a lot of racing. Uh, and what racing I have done hasn't been of great success. Uh, having so much time out of the sport and so much time off the bike in the last 12 months. Uh, but training hard and sort of, I've only been back on the bike for two and a half months after having six months off it. So just about chipping away at the moment and uh, you know, just slowly trying to get better and better as I do. And and I go to Hung- Tour of Hungary today, which will be a great race, good opportunity to, to ride through and find some form. And also we've got a couple of opportunities there with some sprint stages with Caden Groves and then uh, Damien, Damien Housen for the overall. So looking forward to looking forward to there and getting five days of racing in and hopefully with some success for the team. So who is the team bike exchange uh, squad? You named three of them. Who, who, what's the whole team for Hungary? Uh, then there's there's us three, and then there's Barnabas, Barnabas, the young Hungarian dude in our team. Uh, Alexander Konachev, another young guy, and Kevin Colioni, who's a first first year with us, young Italian climber. So he'll uh, he'll be there to support Damo in the in the hilly stage. 
Girls, did you in that uh, you know the time off the bike, off the road bike, out on the roads? I guess um, on the home trainer, doing lots of that stuff. Is that something you don't mind doing, or is it a chore? Uh, it's a chore, yeah, for sure. <laughs> but it's um, it's necessary, a necessary chore. But I, I did a lot, I, I did a lot of stuff off the bike actually. I sort of I tried to do basically my goal for those those months off the bike was to do twenty hour weeks. Um, 20 hour weeks of exercise so i was trying to do half of that on the bike and half of that uh either running or, or hiking or in the gym and things like that and uh i, I did some bigger weeks i did uh, i even did a couple of seven hour days which i s split up into five different sessions um which were quite fun actually so i would have done i'd do like a couple of hours on the bike and then I'd, a three hour hike and then back another couple of hours on the bike and then an evening run or something like that so i was doing as much as i could and doing as best as i could uh but ultimately when you when you're not on the road it's it's not it's not quite the same uh and when, when i did start on the road i was i was actually really happy with how i was going and i still am happy with how i'm going i i, I switched across to the cross training across to the to the bike pretty pretty easily and pretty quickly and i felt fit and i felt strong i'm just lacking the the race intensity so that's that's just what's taking its time to come back and uh like i say hopefully these five days at tour of hungary will, do, will go a long way into switching into that gear how many races does it normally take, Bules, to feel like you are getting a lot of that form sort of back in your legs? Oh, I think typically after an off-season, I can, uh, one, you know, if I do the Australian summer, if I do, typically I would do Cadell Evans and, and the Sun Tour, Jayco here at Sun Tour. And, um, and then after those races, I, you, you already hit Europe pretty, pretty race-ready. Uh, so, yeah, 10 days or something like that. But that's only with having two and a half months off off racing uh whereas i've had uh near on 10 months off it um not to mention the, the lockdown before that so it's been a it's been a long uh a long 12 months of not a lot of racing and, and a lot of time off the off the road uh so it's taken a little bit longer but but hopefully uh by the end of tour of hungary i'll i'll i'll, I'll be heading in the right direction because i have been training well uh just need to, to find that race rhythm again We've got a fan question. John Stevens says, uh, yesterday you proposed the adoption of a salary cap with teams, riders, sponsors and owners based in numerous different countries. It would be almost impossible to police. Um, what do you think of the idea of a salary cap, Bills? Having the team going, nah, mate, we have to trim your 30% to fit you in. <laughs> um, I like the salary cap idea. I think I, I did watch the show yesterday and uh, – what Whitey said was made good points about the, the you know the North American sports and stuff. I think there's things that need to happen before a salary cap would work. Uh, I.e., we need to have a, you know a bite of the bite of the cookie when it comes to TV rights and things like that uh, to try to bump the budgets up a bit, try to even the budgets out a little bit. So there's certain things that would need to happen before before a salary cap could even be talked about. And um, as it as it seems <laughs> that it's not going to be easy to get a bite of that cookie. So. Yeah, it's a, it's a long road to, to a salary cap, I think. And we've got another great fan comment here. That's from Wendy Superfan. My internet's playing up. Keep losing it. <laughs> hey, hey. I, don't, I don't know what you want us to do there, Wendy. Hello, <laughs> <laughs> hey, Wendy. We love you. Hey, to, to John's point, that is the biggest hurdle around the salary cap. That that's clear. You know, with every team registered in different countries, different tax reg regulations, um, yeah, it would be the big challenge. I think you need 
all the teams to then register through some other entity, perhaps in Switzerland or whatever, or through the ECI some other way. But I think there'd be so many ways around a salary cap because of the different countries. Um, so it can't they, like I don't Europe. understand because can't they just say, okay, all right, the salary caps, you know, 15 million euro for all the teams. What what difference does it make if you register Brown in whatever? Brown paper bags, mate. Brown paper bags. Yeah. So maybe, right. if you're maybe some... banal, they could say that, yeah, we're paying him in, in the UK. Here's his contract. Here it is, proof. This is the tax he's paying, paying in the UK. And it's, you know, a million, a million euros. Mm. But then they're also then paying directly to, you know, another company in Colombia, another million to um, to keep him on board. So you just, you need to be through one, like that's where the American system works. And any of those, you know, whether it's AFL in Australia or whatever, you're dealing with one country, one set of laws, one tax um, agency, so everything can be proven. So each rider oh, yeah. to, or every sports person has but to even in the states, know, states returns every year for everything he's earning and then they can trace where it's coming from. But then even in the States, the tax regulations are completely different based on what state you live in. I, I guess it would be like, but also that teams operate maybe not the same currencies, potentially, like maybe Ineos's budgets in pounds, maybe EFs in US dollars. I don't know. What about the cycling like, honesty system? Should we get an accountant on here? That's worked really well so far. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, there you go. Um, all right. Is there anything else we want to add before we wrap things up, boys? I'll throw in um, Ulysses, Diego Ulysses, for the stage as well. It's not like it's not a hilly finish, mm. but he should be in the mix. He was prominent last year, several stages. Hasn't had great form this year, but he's run fifth and sixth coming up to it in Tour of Romandie. Um, hey, he's Italian. He loves it. He's won here before. He's another one. All right. Yeah. Well, it's going to be ri- riveting television, to say the least. Uh, thanks again, Bills, for coming on. Scotty. Iffy, uh, as we always say, if you want to get involved with the show, youtube.com forward slash the Detour Podcast. Make sure you subscribe. And then, Scotty? One more thing. I mentioned um, Saruti as the fashion label, right, for the yes. start of the – founded at the start of this stage. Um, Richard Gere in Pretty Woman is another movie, another actor that they supply clothes to. There you go. A bit of useless trivia for you to finish the show. What a way to finish. Right. I, don't, if- I think I, I, I'll tell you what I really liked uh, uh, when, uh, when when Tim uh, won the stage last night. The fact that he did that big W uh, as a mm. tribute to uh, Walter Wayland's, who's 10 years. There he goes. Yeah. Uh, since, yeah that's crazy. Uh, he died tragically uh, in the Giro. And they also did a beautiful uh, tribute to him at the start line as well, So, mm. which I thought was pretty special. Yep. No, yep. definitely. All right, well, that's a wrap of another big show. We'll be back again uh, tomorrow to recap. Hopefully, fingers crossed, everything goes well for Team Bike Exchange, George Bennett, and uh, your tips get up, Peter Sagan, Ulysses, and uh, who did you say, Bills? I said four people. Oh, yeah. So. You hedged your bets. <laughs> well, I, I actually said Sagan. Diversify, mate. Ulysses right at the start. But I still won't completely count out Caleb because – you know, if they don't get it quite right, the attacking's, you know, if Caleb gets over a hill pretty well um, and he'll be angry. So he's mm. still in with a chance. Okay. Well, he, he, went over the, he went over the, he attacked on the Poggio this year. So yeah, it was so, brilliant. So he was very good, wasn't he? I, I mentioned mm. the, the, the winner of this stage yesterday, actually. Who's that? I'll see you tomorrow. 
right. All right. Fourth attempt, fourth attempt to wrap the show up. This one's final. Thanks for tuning in, guys. We'll see you again tomorrow. See you guys. See you guys.